thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. In 1993, I lived in Paraparaumu for a year. Dad had picked up a job in Wellington, civil engineering, and so we packed up our things in Blenheim and we made the move north to the Kapiti Coast. Uh, and one of the great things about living in Paraparaumu was on the outskirts of town, there was a maze and candy shop. They were co-located. That's smart business, isn't it? There was this big wooden maze there, and it looked super exciting, and I remember that every time we drove past in the car, I would ask my dad if we could go to the maze, and his reply was always the same. He would say, one day, and that was the end of it. I reckon anyone who has children, or who has looked after children, has probably said one day in response to a question for something that they've asked for. It's a parental dodge, isn't it? It gets you out of the, the trouble that you're in. You're in the firing line. You're being asked to do something you don't really want to. The adult saying one day dodges out of the road. It's a way of saying not really without saying not really. We're not going to do that thing. The adult saying one day has no intention of carrying out what's been asked, but they don't want to say yes because then they've made a promise that they can be held accountable for, and they've got no intention of keeping that promise. In the first 21 chapters of Genesis, as we've walked with Abraham, we saw God making him lots and lots of different promises. They were explicit promises. They were sacred promises. They're called covenants. God promised that he would use Abraham and his family for his glorious purpose. He would one day make Abraham into a great nation. He would give him the land of Canaan as his own possession. He would make Abraham's name great among the people, and he would bless all of the earth through his family. Those are the promises that God had made to Abraham. God's one day isn't an empty promise. It's not a parental dodge like the one that my dad used when he didn't want to take me to the maze. God will unfailingly keep his promise. Abraham, the wandering nomad with no home of his own, will become a great nation. He will have a land of his own, and through his family in the Lord Jesus, he will be a blessing to the whole earth. All of that promise was reaffirmed when we last left Abraham near the end of chapter 22, after he'd been asked to sacrifice his son Isaac and God had mercifully provided the ram in his place. He said these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. As we join him today, we join Abraham in a sad moment. His wife, Sarah, has died, and her death brings Abraham to a precipice. It's a crisis moment for him, which reminds us that God's people suffer loss before receiving his promises, which we'll focus on in verses 1 and 2. As we look at the way that Abraham then deals with the Hittites to secure a resting place for his wife, we're going to see a stunning example of faith. Because God's people believe that God's promises extend beyond this life, which we'll focus on in verses 3 to 20. 
We know where we're going this morning. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you of the way that it reminds us of your promises and your faithfulness. We ask this morning that you would help us to trust in your promises as we consider Abraham and how he trusted in you in a really difficult time. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would bring these words alive to us in our hearts and minds that we might glorify Jesus in the way that we live. We ask it in his name. Amen. Well, Abraham and Sarah with their son Isaac have been living in hope of the covenant promise of God that the land around them will one day be theirs, that it's going to become a homeland for the chosen people of God who have been justified by faith. Since being obedient to God's call to leave his father's house and his homeland of Haran, Abraham and Sarah have moved from place to place. They've lived in lots of different countries. And at times, they've relied on their own wits to try and get them out of trouble, which hasn't gone so well for them. They've relied on the hospitality of the people living around them because they're strangers and exiles. They have very few rights in the land that they're living in. All in this wonderful hope that one day, God will fulfill his amazing covenant promise for them. But for Sarah, the one-day promise hasn't arrived. She has died. Now that Sarah has died, the hope that Abraham has that God will honour his promise hangs in the balance. Her death, before they've entered into the promised land, is the precipice that Abraham stands on. God has given him a son, yes, he's fulfilled a part of the promise, but he hasn't yet led him into the land that God had promised him. Having the land of Canaan hasn't come to fruition. In this moment of grief, there's a dawning realisation Sarah hasn't seen all of God's promises to her fulfilled. And Abraham recognizes that he might not either. For 30 odd years, since the last promise of God to Abraham, he and Sarah have lived waiting in hope and now he has suffered tremendous loss. And the trial before him is to hold fast to the promise of God in the face of great loss in a time of suffering. The followers of Jesus stood on the same precipice after his death. Hiding away in a locked room in Jerusalem, they were fearful. They'd had such high hopes of what one day the Messiah would do, of the kingdom that he would bring in, of how he would change hearts and bring people back to their God. And now he lay dead and buried in a borrowed tomb as they suffered loss. Now, they were fortunate. They only had to wait a few days before they saw God's one day starting to be enacted as Jesus was powerfully raised from the dead. He showed that death was not the end, that it had no power over him, that God's promises were coming true. We have to wait a little bit longer, don't we, than three days to see God's promises coming true in our lives. The same kind of precipices loom before us as our loved ones die. Just this last week, we've farewelled a beloved sister in Christ, Barb Lash. Barb has been such a tremendously faithful follower of Jesus, not just in this church, but from her time of coming to him at the age of 18. In Barb's life, she gave her time and energy sacrificially to the churches that she's been part of. She chose to only work four days a week so that she could serve the church for one day a week during her working life. You might not have known that because she didn't make it well known. Why did she do that? Well, she gave that time sacrificially to Christ. And last week, she died. She died waiting. Waiting for a future with Jesus, which as yet is still unfulfilled. 
Barb hasn't yet stepped into the fullness of God's promises. She's still waiting for that one day. It's not just death which brings us to the precipice of doubting God's promises, isn't it? When we hear of a diagnosis of illness in our own lives or that of a family member, when something like Alzheimer's or dementia starts to creep up at the door, when we have a fall and we aren't able to live independently anymore, when mental health issues are crippling and make it hard to get up and do life on a daily basis, or when the bank balance is disturbingly low and we are fearful about how we're going to pay the bills, when we're sitting alone eating again without anybody for company, we can wonder in our hearts whether one day is ever going to come, whether God is really going to fulfill his promises for us. It's in the moments of grief and sadness, in the tragedy and the hard stuff of real life, that we face the test to trust in Jesus' promises. Kind of think what value is there in saying God is good on the days when life is peachy. Surely it's on the days when life feels like it's falling apart, that when we're in pain, that lifting our eyes and seeing the promises of Jesus, choosing to hold on to what he has done for us on the cross engaging our broken, messed up lives and exchanging them for his righteousness, taking our punishment and atoning for our rebellion against God, that we are reminded of how committed Jesus is to the one day that's coming for his people. He is so committed to keeping his promises that he died for us. God's people suffer as we wait for the fulfillment of his promises. It was the reality for Abraham who just lost his wife. It's the reality for every person of God after him. But the one day that God has promised will come. Jesus has given his life so that it will. It is absolutely sure and certain. And so on the days when we are despairing and life is tough, remember the death of Jesus, which gives us absolute assurance that he is committed to his promises one day coming true. In Abraham's grief and sadness, he fought against the trial to turn his back on the promises of God, to think they were never going to happen. Even if Sarah hasn't seen them come true, even if he won't see them come true in his lifetime, he believes. And he believed that God's promise would extend beyond his lifetime. So the cultural norm for Abraham would be to take his wife's remains back to Haran, to his ancestral home, to his people and his place, and to lay her to rest there. Instead, he trusts the promise of God, and living in Hebron in the land of Canaan, he embarks on what is much more than a purchase of land, but a step of faith. The account that Norma read for us today reads a bit like a volleyball match. Abraham approaches the Hittites to ask for a place to bury Sarah, and then they bat the ball back over the net and say to him, here, have it for free. He sends the ball back over again and says, no, I'm going to buy it. And then uh, the guy whose name's Ephron, who owns the land, he sends the ball back over again and says, here, have it all, but have it for free. And Abraham says, no. He finally sends the ball back over, and they sort out a price. What is going on in this back and forwards exchange around a piece of land? Well, Abraham is asking to buy something which demonstrates that his faith in God's one-day promise is real. He wants to buy the land for a burial site so that he can create a place where he and his family, those who are going to come after him, can hark back to 
as their own special burial place in the land of Canaan, a land where he is a stranger and a wanderer. He wants to make sure that this is the anchor point for his family who will grow around him in this land that will be theirs. He has a future hope. He trusts the promise of God that one day all of this territory and the resting place of his wife who he has wept over will be safe in the hands of his family. Did you notice in verse 6 that the Hittites offered Abraham the cave for free and that he rejected their offer? That's quite surprising for us, isn't it? He's been offered this parcel of land for nothing. Sounds crazy. Most of us are up for a bargain. We'll say yes to anything free. You know those little samples that they give you in the supermarket, even if it's something you don't really like? Or sometimes you get those cat food samplers that come in the post. I've seen people collect those up that don't even have a cat just because they're free. That's what we are like. We love stuff for free. And here is the offer of free property. Somewhere he can lay Sarah to rest with no price tag, with no ongoing tax obligations to the king of the Hittites, which is a whole part of what's going on in the negotiation and the discussion. It's why they talk about things like land and trees and the boundaries. This is an attractive deal that Abraham is being offered. But he doesn't take the free offer because it would undermine his confidence in the covenant promise of God. Rather than trusting God's promise, he would be reliant on Ephron's will. At any time, Ephron could cancel the agreement, and he would be without the stake in the ground that says this is where God is building his kingdom. Abraham would be reliant on Ephron's goodwill and not God's word. One of the conundrums that faces mission partners as they get ready to head out overseas is what to do with the precious things that you can't take away with you. Uh, When our family was preparing to go away, we spent a lot of time working out what could go, what was junk, and what we would keep and what we would do with it. Got some friends who are mission partners, and they packed up everything they couldn't take. Probably wasn't worth very much, but it was precious to them. They were things that had sentimental value, and they were stored in a container on a friend's farm that had been offered for them to have their things on. Uh, These people were out for around 10 years, and when it came time to work through some of their things, the friends were a bit cagey about giving them access to their stuff. They gave excuses, and it took about six months before they could actually get to open that container and look at their things again. And when they opened the doors, it turned out that their stuff had been ransacked and ruined by the people whose property it was on. The doors had been opened. Things were missing. Precious treasures were gone. These faithful mission partners only had access to their own property at the goodwill of the owners, and that goodwill had run out. It was a heartbreaking experience for my friends. They'd put their trust in a place where it had failed. Can you imagine that same kind of scenario playing out with an ancestral burial ground at stake and how much more heartbreaking that would be? And so Abraham made the purchase. He coughed up. He handed over the silver. He paid the price because he was absolutely certain that God would do all that he had promised. So he buys the land legally paying the full price. The writer is at pains to make that clear for us. Putting himself in a position where he would have to pay tax to the king and all of the other costs that came with it. He was doing more than making this portion of land his own. 
He was fighting the easy way out. He was bearing the cost as an example of his trust in the promise of God. And so as the silver was exchanged, this land and cave became the new designated ancestral home of his people, the place where their matriarch was buried. There was no going back to Haran anymore. Abraham believed and trusted that one day the land around would all belong to his descendants. In God, the one-day promise would come. Maybe he could make that that decision because of the reassurance which came in the last few verses of chapter 22. That was the list of names which was read out, and it's not just an interlude. It's another way that God is showing his, his faithfulness to Abraham and his covenant promise. We know he's got a son, Isaac, and because Nahor, his brother, also had children, that secures Abraham's future in a different way. The land is now looking like, he's saying, this land will be secure. I'm putting my stake in the ground. I'm buying this plot. And now he has a future for his family. Whose name jumped out to you or seemed out of place when you heard verses 20 to 24 read? Rebecca, absolutely. It's Rebecca, the daughter of Bethuel. Why is she mentioned here? Well, Isaac now wouldn't have to leave this land for Haran to go and find a wife. He wouldn't have to do the unthinkable and take a Canaanite wife. God has blessed Nahor and Milcah with children, and Abraham's family could continue to grow. It might not be in his lifetime, but Abraham was confident that God's promise would be fulfilled. His family line would continue in a way that was pleasing to God. Abraham was armed with the experience of a lifetime of God keeping his promise to him. Like us, there's times where he'd been tested and failed. Do we think of when he went into Egypt? It's a big example. Other times he'd been tested and remained faithful, with God enlarging the covenants that he made with Abraham. In this crisis moment, standing on the precipice, a moment of great loss and sadness, a moment when he was battling the flattery of others and the offers of financial gain, he put his trust in God who would one day keep his promises, even if Abraham never saw them fulfilled himself in his own lifetime. Friends, our hope is in the same promise-keeping God, the God who we know was faithful to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to Moses and David, to the people of Israel and Judah, to any who look forward to the new covenant, a greater covenant in Jesus which guarantees more than a land, more than a nation, more than a name, but the fulfillment of the promise to see all people blessed as they come closer to their God, reconciled through the forgiveness made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, for any who would put their trust in him and his amazing promise to wipe away our sin by his death on the cross and give us an eternal homeland with his heavenly Father. Through Jesus and his new covenant, we share in a great hope for the future, don't we? A future which is the fulfillment and the amplification of God's promise to Abraham. Now, don't be fooled into thinking that that means life will be easy and rosy and picnics on the beach. If we've learned anything from Abraham and the books that we've worked through this year in James and 1 Peter, the very opposite is true, isn't it? God's people are finding hard times. Trials and challenges and suffering and difficulty will come our way. 
but our hope is a hope for beyond the here and now. God's people believe God's promises extend beyond this life. Our dear sister Barb believed that. Abraham is sure and certain that God will keep his one-day promise. After many failures through his life where he buckled under the doubt that comes when life is scary and threatening, he's come to trust God more and more as he's seen him at work in his life. In a moment of great suffering, lures have been put in front of Abraham again to turn aside from the promises of God. But he's shown his trust in God's faithfulness. One day his people will hold this land. Sarah hasn't seen it. He may not see it. But Abraham believes the covenant promises of God that God is as good as his word. It is belief and trust and conviction that God is as good as his word. That he will keep his promise even if Abraham doesn't see it. That means that Abraham could turn away from putting his trust in the temporary and trust that promise instead. That's been a lifetime journey for Abraham. It's a lifetime journey for us. As we continue to promise, to trust in the promises of Jesus over the things of this world. The things which cause us to stand on the precipice as we walk through times of sorrow and suffering. God's people suffer loss before we see his promise fulfilled. God's people believe God's promises extend beyond this life. We trust and believe that one day in Jesus they will all be fully realized. So why don't we pray and ask him to help us live accordingly. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your amazing faithfulness to Abraham. Thank you that we've been able to walk with him through the book of Genesis and see your goodness to him. Lord, thank you for the times where he has triumphed and trusted in you. And we pray that that would encourage us in our faith. As we think about how he trusted in you in a time of sorrow, would you please meet us in our times of sorrow and sadness and help us to look forward to the one day that will certainly come in the Lord Jesus where all of your promises will be fulfilled and your people will live with you face to face with every tear wiped from our eyes, restored in body, mind and spirit, living in the fullness of relationship with you in your heavenly kingdom. Lord, keep that promise before us so that we might face the trials of this world well. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa. You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening.